Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. It was nothing that he ever tried to hide from me, but honestly, I had just never looked down at his hand. And one day I did, and it was just like, oh. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you speaking to me or sleeping with someone else? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Anyway, the word is, carries around a lot of cash. And need to talk about more. Live for nothing or die for something. I'm Anna Sale. Having an affair seems like such a big decision. Of course, it's really a series of small choices. Once it actually finally happened and we started making out, I said, fuck. And he was like, what? And I was like, I I hoped you were going to be so bad at this. You're going to hear a lot of cheating stories in this episode. I'm going to start with one. Allie in Massachusetts met the guy she called her married boyfriend through work. They hit it off and started emailing and texting jokes to each other. He lived in another town, so they'd only see each other occasionally. Each time, she felt pulled further in. She was 29, single, and had never felt this way about someone, even though she knew he had a wife, a two-year-old, and an infant at home. I would say there was probably a two-week span of battling in my head because um, my dad uh, cheated on my mom, so I was so against anti, like, no, you know what? If you choose to be with that person, then you be with that person. And if you're not happy, you leave. And that's just how it is. But that's not really how it is. <laughs> so how is it? Like, what were you thinking about? I think it became more painful to not do it, you know, and to just test the waters and, and say, maybe this is the only guy that I'll ever be in love with. And for me to deny myself that, that would be terrible. Do you felt a very deep connection to this guy? Oh, yeah. He had really become my best friend. And there was no denying that what we had was quasi-real. 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 <laughs> you, you never had any illusions that it was going to be a long-term thing, but it felt right in that moment. Um, no, I had lots of illusions that this would... <laughs> That this would be for the long term. And there were a couple of times where we actually talked about it. And I said, listen, 
I want us to be something. And he kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. It was an illusion that we both kind of built for each other. This guy was not just married. He was married with two little kids. Yeah. When did, when did you talk about that? It was always a little bit present. Hmm. There were certain times when he would go out and talk to his wife on the phone because, you know. He would leave a room where you were to go call his wife. Oh, yeah. He'd go outside and smoke a cigarette because he was a smoker. So. Uh-huh. And what would you do while he was making those calls? Play on my phone, watch TV, you know. And every once in a while you reflect on it, but... Um, and you feel you feel bad. I, I, we both felt bad. It wasn't something that we were like, "Oh, this is really fun. We're having a blast." It was like, "Wow, what? What if life could be like without this? You know, um, what if life could be without this? Like, like <laughs> without his wife and kids? You know, if it could just be us? Like, would that even work? That would be something that I would always question in my head." Allie told me their affair ended after about a year. By then, she says she felt like it was all about sex, and that's not what she wanted. As far as she knows, his wife never found out, and she hopes it stays that way. This was one of the stories you sent in when I asked about cheating. I heard from a lot of you. I started having an affair about two weeks into the marriage, which makes me sound like the most horrible person in the world. It is one of the most isolating and lonely experiences. This is the only way that I find comfort. Actually, don't feel a lot of guilt about it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It's a terrible idea. I heard stories of people who cheated and were cheated on. What has he got that I, I don't have? Dating and married. I had taken my wedding band off and I left it in his cubby at work. Almost all the stories were from straight people. Just a few lesbians wrote in. No gay men on this one. Some of you are right in the middle of it. The person I am involved with is definitely cheating. He's still married. I'm not. I feel like a shithole of a man, even as I type this message, wrote a husband whose wife doesn't know about his current cheating. I love both men deeply, wrote a married woman who reconnected with a college love. She added, is it right to have an affair? No, but I don't feel bad about what I'm doing. I had been wanting to break up with him, and so I cheated on him, and I had to break up with him afterwards. It's not the best thing to do as a human being, but I'm, I'm really happy. I don't think I would be this happy without doing it. Others of you wrote in with some perspective, well after the initial crisis. We decided to write down all the events that had taken place that we were disappointed in ourselves with and read it together as a couple and then lit it on fire. And since that moment, it has been incredible. The affair is like that vacuum cleaner you get as a birthday gift, Michelle says now about her wife's infidelity. You don't want it, you have a bad reaction to it, And then a few years down the line, you acknowledge how much better your life is with it. A note on sourcing. Because this is such a tender subject, and because in most cases I heard just one side of the story, I'm using first names here, and sometimes changing them completely. I'll tell you when I do that. This is Andy in Connecticut. 
I, I guess I remember one time when I, uh, I had a, a new boss. And one of the things that my colleague had told the new boss, she said, you know, this is one thing I'll say about Andy. Andy loves his wife very much and is very faithful to her. <laughs> I, I didn't know where that came from. I was like, but, you know, that was kind of the vibe. That was kind of the value I wanted to put out there, you know, huh. you know to quote, you know, Hall and Oates, you know, I'm a family man. Andy's story about infidelity started long before he was ever in a relationship. He says his dad cheated first on his mom and after their divorce on his girlfriends. The best one was, um, I think I might have been 12. I was visiting him in Florida, and he was dating this woman very seriously. And, and this was a wonderful woman. And my brother and I really, really liked her a lot. My dad had this woman from his past, sort of this on-again, off-again romance. I don't want to judge it as a fling or anything, but it was just this woman who periodically would appear and disappear, appear and disappear. And this woman called, and my dad was going to fly her down to Florida. And my brother and I, Dad, you can't do this. You have a very serious girlfriend. You're going to ruin this. He said, well, no, she's never going to find out. But no, you can't do this. You can't do this at all. You're going to blow it. You know, my brother and I pleaded with him, argued with him. I mean, I'm 12. My brother's six. We're, we're berating my father. And then finally, he slams the brakes on the car and says, hey, I'm a grown man and I can make my own decisions. And I remember thinking to him, I go, you may be a grown man, but you've, you've got the mind of a child. And guess what happened? She came down, the other woman found out, and, uh, and he lost her. Is your father still living? Yes. Do you have a relationship? Oh, yes. Oh, I, I love my father very much. You know, at some point, you, you kind of have to reconcile the fact that, you know, I don't know, things happen. You know, you can either go through your life upset, angry, bitter, sad, whatever, or you can love the person you love unconditionally and uh, more or less, uh, you know, forgive them. You know, I, I knew what kind of man I wanted to be and what kind of man I didn't want to be. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, people have, uh, people have a choice, you know, they don't have to be unfaithful. They don't have to entertain the possibility of being unfaithful. You know, fidelity is something that I think is like a value. And I value fidelity. I value faithfulness. You know, forgiving a spouse for cheating on you, you know, might be like taking a bullet. But I would never want to be the one to fire the gun. That analogy, that forgiving someone for cheating is like taking a bullet for them, that comes from sex columnist Dan Savage from when we talked on the show last July. And it stuck with people, including a woman I'm calling Sherry. That's not her real name. She's 41 and says she's been married to her husband for almost 18 years. They met in high school, got married right after college. Despite doing women's studies class and, and considering myself a feminist since I can remember, I, I felt like I somehow managed to fall into every trap that's set for, <laughs> for women. And what do you mean by traps? I, I did, um, you know, everything that I, I think is expected. I, I gave away my name. I took his name. We got married. Um, we, you know, had had two kids um, who are, of course, perfect and extraordinary, and we lived in the right places and did did all the right things. And to a certain extent, we have been very successful. I don't you know, I don't, I don't want to discount that. When you make all of those very safe choices, you, you are rewarded for that. And how old are your children now? So my children now are 16 and 13. Um, and, and a lot of the trouble sort of began when 
um, my youngest, um, started to sort of just grow out. You know, when when, when they're little for the first, you know, 10 years or so, they take up so much of your literal physical and mental self that you sort of lose yourself in in the parenting. And when your kids get a little bit older, they start to not need you in that way. They start to pull away. Um, it left me as, as a mother sort of starting to wonder how I was going to fill all of this time that I suddenly had. And what happened? Well, so there was a lot of different things going on. I, I describe it now as sort of this awful, you know, hurricane. So I, I turned 39 and my kids got older and I I lost all this weight. And suddenly this question started coming up about who, you know, who was in who was actually in control of my of my physical self because it felt like for a long time, of course, it was um, my kids. And for all of my adult life, I it was presumed to be under the control in a lot of ways of my husband. And at the same time, we did start to have uh, sexual problems. He um, I, he was turning me down a lot, which was not okay. And um, so all of that was sort of happening at the same time. Um, and in the middle of that sort of hurricane, there there I stood and in stepped, you know, this wonderful distraction. Where did you meet the wonderful distraction? So, yeah, so I met this distraction um, through work, although he's not a coworker, but I met him through in the in the course of my of my work. And it, and mm-hmm. how did your relationship with this with this guy move from being professional to, to personal? Oh, it was just through emails and 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 then well, emails and then text messages. And I, I sometimes, I sometimes think about how text messaging may have, <laughs> may have changed everything about marriage and infidelity because it makes it so easy, right, to um, to sort of share personal information while still maintaining this sort of distance. Um, so there was just a lot of text messaging and. Would you text like in the room with your husband? Yes, absolutely. There was there was really not a lot of I, I was not um, horribly concerned about about being caught in that way. You know, my husband and I had um, had been together for so long, and and I came to to realize that a lot of what was going on was that he, in a lot of ways, had I I think had stopped paying attention. I think that to a certain extent, we were both sort of invisible to to each other. And was this was this guy you were having the affair with? Was he also in a relationship? Yes, he he is married. Um, so it was, and it, yeah, it, it was an absolute secret on both ends. And you'd meet in hotels. Yeah, yeah. And and keep in mind too, like this was not something. I don't know how other people's affairs work, but this was not something that happened all of the time. In fact. You know, the entire affair went on for sometime between nine months and a year. And, and in that time, we only met up like three times physically. It was a lot more sort of in between, you know, text messaging and a lot more, a lot more communication that way. You lost, you lost a lot of weight when you were turning, mm-hmm. when you were 39. Yeah. Do you think that had to do with feeling like you wanted more? Physically, from the world? 
Um, it, it may have. And it also, what I think it did too was it actually, it amplified for me how little control I felt that I had. Like I was happy and joyful with this newfound sort of sexuality that I had and that I, I felt like I was, I had this power that I had never had before over men ever. Mm. <laughs> but at the, at the very same time, I was also just infuriated about it that that I am the same person that I, that I was before. And, and, and the fact that, ev- that so much had changed because I had lost this ridiculous weight is maddening. The way you tell this story is this experience of feeling deeply empowered and also mm-hmm. angry and a lot of resentments coming to the fore. Mm-hmm. Why, did this, why did the affair end? Because I wanted it to end, because I could not continue to to live the way I was living. And at what point did you tell your husband? It was several months later. And you're still together. Mm-hmm. What happened? Um, well, I think mainly what happened was um, that my husband, my husband happened. And, you know... One of the things that that I feel bad about now is that I feel like I underestimated him. Um, it never occurred to me that my husband um, would react in any way other than, you know, anger and and judgment. Like the 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 dominant narrative is that, right? Like the cheater cheats and the person who's been cheated on, calls a lawyer, right? And crockery is thrown, and and that's how it's supposed to go. Um, and that's not how it went. That is just quite simply not how it went. I don't want to minimize his pain because it was very, very awful um, and very, very painful for him. But he was um, able, for whatever reason, to look past this incredible pain that he was going through and um, ask why and, and listen to the answer. It did take some negotiation before Sherry and her husband decided to stay together. Sherry wanted three things, to take back her maiden name, to move to a new house, and to allow each of them to have occasional flings outside the marriage. She says her husband didn't want to sell the house, but okayed the rest. One of the things that we talked about or that I was sort of saying to him was that, you know, you don't have to follow, you know, the 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 narrative that everybody that everybody else does. You know, you don't have to get divorced. You don't have to, you know, um, do these things. You you can decide to go a different way. How did your husband respond when you said, I think we should allow non-monogamy into our marriage? He thought about it in in terms of trying very hard to see it from my perspective, like really listening to what I was saying and and what experiences I was having that, 
you know, would cause this. And, and I mean, you know, it was sort of funny, but one of the things I said to him was, I, I cannot believe that we are, that, that our 20 year relationship and this life that we've built together can be destroyed because my vagina was in the wrong place for, you know, like this, it's absurd. It's just absurd. And I, I did say that to him. Like, like part of me just thinks this is ridiculous. Like, why should this matter the way that it does? And I just don't think it should. Um, and for him, for him, agreeing was in part because you made it a condition of of keeping the marriage together, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. And I and I do go like I. I, I, you know, I hate to think how what what people would think of me if they knew that, <laughs> because I don't think that that the reaction would be good. I think that, um, you know, and I question myself about it. Did I emotionally blackmail him and basically say, like a ransom letter or something? You either do what I want, or I'm going to blow up our lives. And that is what happened. That that is what happened. That is that is what what I did. You know, right or wrong. And I I don't. I don't quite know whether it was right or wrong yet. Coming up, more on the emotional cost as we figure out what's right and wrong. Like for Cody in California, who says his girlfriend cheated on him repeatedly and denied it until he caught her. That was almost five years ago, and he hasn't been in a serious relationship since. It purely comes down to trust. I, I just, I don't really know how anymore. And it's, um, it's terrifying to me. It's, it's, I tried dating. It's been, I haven't been on a date since October now because I, I'm, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I saw this pattern of every time it gets just to the cusp to where that vulnerability needs to present itself, I, I just, I run. I just can't, I can't do it. This is not the music we normally play in the middle of our episodes. It's an aria from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro, and it's what inspired us to re-release this episode about cheating, which we first put out back in 2015. This week, our friends over at the podcast Aria Code are digging into this famous piece called Dove Sono. In it, a countess is singing about her husband being unfaithful to her and wondering why their marriage has lost its spark. Even back in 1786, infidelity was something people were thinking about a lot and needing to talk or sing about more. This entire season of Aria Code, which is hosted by musician Rhiannon Giddens, is all about desire. In addition to people from the opera world, they also talk with guests like Dame Judi Dench, Ann Patchett, and two people we've had on our show, Anna Klumsky and Dan Savage. Dan, of course, had things to say about the cheating in The Marriage of Figaro. Aria Code is a great podcast, a welcome change-up in my listening habits. You can find a link in our show notes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. On the next episode... We had no idea where we were headed, Mm -hmm. and then finally got to Heart Mountain. 
Heart Mountain is in Wyoming, and during World War II, it was one of the sites where Japanese Americans were incarcerated. This summer, I went to a reunion at Heart Mountain. I talked with some of the people who were imprisoned there, who were young children at the time, and with some of their descendants. I said, well, Mom, you know, weren't you angry at all about what happened? And, you know, she pretty much said, no, it was a fun place to be. It was where I met Dad. I said, come on, Mom, you know, weren't you a little angry about what happened? And then the conversation escalated to her yelling at me, telling me, you don't have a right to have an opinion about the incarceration because I was there and you were not. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Hi, Anna. I'm calling about the cheating episode. Sasha recorded a voice memo while she was driving home from work. That's not her real name. She talked for about 10 minutes about a relationship gone horribly wrong. The thing that feels the worst to me about all of it is just... how much work he put into the deception. Sasha is a biologist. Before this, she considered monogamy unnatural and worth deconstructing. Looking back, she feels naive because the force of her pain keeps surprising her. It's hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to say, you must have really hated me. Why not just leave? Sasha says she and her partner were together for five years when she first confronted him. She thought he was having an affair with a colleague. And he had said to me, you're paranoid, you don't trust me, I don't know if I can be in a relationship with someone like you. How did you find out the extent of his, of his cheating? Um, so the initial stuff with the woman here, I asked to look at his cell phone and saw you know, excessive text messages with lots of specific kind of conversations that only people who are intimately involved would have. Um, After her, um, I was contacted by a woman who had responded to an ad that he had posted in, um, on the internet looking for casual sex. And she said that she had Responded to the ad in April of 2013. So this was October when she reached out to me. And uh, I just decided to log into this particular account. I I thought maybe he hasn't changed his password. And so I went in and you could look at the history. And I discovered that there had been these kinds of ads for years. The first one was in March of 2011 when we lived in a different state. And you'd move together. Yeah, we'd move together. 
Did you ever confront him about this after your breakup? Um, I did in the form of a text message. And what happened? That was it. He denied it. He, he denies it still. What did you say? Oh, I don't remember exactly, but I, I do believe it was um, fairly pointed. <laughs> I, think I, I think I said something about, you know, sort of knowing everything and feeling incredibly betrayed and really hurt and utterly distraught at the, the whole idea. And I think I probably thanked him for the need to go get tested for STDs. Have you thought about being in another relationship? Yeah, I think about it constantly, but I'm not there yet. How do you know? Because I haven't forgiven myself. And until I can do that and then sort of ultimately forgive him, I won't be good for anyone. And, and what do you blame yourself about? It's a complicated question. It, it shouldn't be, but it is. I, I have taken a lot of the blame for ignoring some red flags, not trusting myself more or valuing myself enough to say this isn't okay when things were happening, but rather covering them up or compensating for them. Hmm. What do you think you'll say the next time you have a conversation with somebody you're you're beginning a, a, a relationship with? What will you say about your expectations? I think I want to make sure that the person that I'm with can answer the question, do you know what you need to be happy? Huh. Do you know what you need? More so now than ever even though there were days where I just wanted to have the earth open up and swallow me whole. I think now I'm a a better person, and it's a two-way street. I certainly, clearly wasn't making him happy in ways, and I think that I will be a better partner for it moving forward when I'm ready, when I'm ready to be vulnerable again. About a year ago, my partner of 10 years confessed that she was having an affair and fell in love with one of our best friends. We immediately started couples therapy as we have kids together and we wanted to try to make this work. I'm working through fear that she will change her mind and, and leave me for the other woman. And I know I have to forgive her and trust again. I'm just scared to make myself vulnerable. For Joe in Texas, the problem hasn't been vulnerability. He's had trouble finding women who could commit to him. All my interactions with other women have basically been them cheating on their significant others. Joe, and that's not his real name, says it's been this way since just after high school. He's in his 40s now. 
Over the last seven or eight years, he's met women online, and it's developed from there, including in his last relationship with a married mother. He says it lasted about two years until he broke it off last fall. You find ways to justify it. Um, I'm feeling a little bad about my situation. She's feeling bad about her situation. Um, you know, why don't we just support each other kind of a thing. And it was a physical relationship, too? Turned into it. Not uh, not right off the bat or immediately, but it did turn into it. You know, it didn't really change much of what was going on in my life. Like, she would come and see me. Why did it end? It just started adding up. Like, I don't, I don't really see where it is I fit in this thing. Like, it, that's the kind of the part where I felt like I was just, you know, I'm just a sideshow. There's a pattern that you can look back on your life and see that you've, you've been with a series of women who weren't available to be just with you. But it sounds like you, don't, you haven't quite figured that out, why that is. Yeah, well, I mean, I do have, I, I've got um, reasons why I believe that. Um, physically, you know, I'm not, um, I'm an overweight guy. Uh, so I feel like that's probably why I can't be the number one choice. Um, they may love my sense of humor and my kind of compassionate side and the fact that I'm not afraid to let out my feelings and tell them different things, all that loses to the fact that I'm not six foot four and have rock hard abs and look fabulous or something, you know? Yeah. How, how tall are you and, and how, how much do you weigh? I'm six one. And uh, I'm very happy to say that I'm uh, about 295 right now. I lost uh, about 45 pounds in the last year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm kind of done being, I'm trying to be done being ashamed of anything about me and just putting it out there and saying, this is me. This is who I am. I've been married three times, and each time I went out and cheated to find, I guess, love. It's so much harder being on this side of things that I think people realize. You need to talk about endings before you're beginning. You need to talk about, if it all falls apart, how would we behave? How would you want to behave? We don't offer enough support to those that have made mistakes like this. I'm trying to be loyal in that area. I hope that it works out this time. And it has to be said, when you're talking about sex, sometimes there are consequences beyond busted relationships and emotional wounds. Cheating can lead to a child. I found out later um, that he had gotten a friend of his pregnant. A woman I'm calling Crystal sent this in from Virginia. She's 27. She's been with her boyfriend for six years. She told me he's in the Army and has deployed several times during their relationship. Sometimes there were tensions. At one point, she says he thought they were on a break while he was deployed. She didn't. And when he was back at base in the U.S., she called him 
when he finally did answer the call, he was just in tears, like, oh, my God, I messed up. So I'm like, so what is it? And he just kind of said it, like, so-and-so's pregnant. What? I think my stomach just dropped to my feet. Um, And the tears just welled up. I mean, how do you react to that, you know? So I was like, well, look, we're... I'm not taking this sitting down. We're not handling this over the phone. As soon as you get home, you will buy me a plane ticket. I will fly out this evening. I am coming to stay with you for a couple of weeks. We're hashing this out. Um, <laughs> that was and, incredibly brave of you. I, I mean, <laughs> thank you. That your impulse was to go towards it. I mean, don't I? <laughs> it was actually really funny because as soon as I got to the airport, the first thing I said, I looked at him in the face, gave him like a fake punch in the chest, and I'm like, fuck you, you suck, let's go home. Hmm. Did did he think he cheated on you? I think he thinks he betrayed me. And And even when I think about it, I don't necessarily think he cheated on me. I see it more as a betrayal, which is much different, because... I mean, cheating, cheating doesn't have to carry anything with it. It doesn't necessarily carry anything with it, right? Like some people cheat and that means a long-term affair. Other people cheat and that means a one-time fling. Some people cheat and their partners never know and they're probably better for it for not knowing and carrying that with them, you know? So cheating for me, it's not the physical act that makes infidelity what it is. It's the emotional impact and the mental impact and the living with it. I was haunted by what happened for so long. Um, And I think I just felt so much more betrayed because now we have a surprise human coming out of it, Mm -hmm. you know? Who's their child. Yeah. Now I have two people in my life who would not necessarily have been there before. So I, it, it's more the imposition of, of what the end result turned into that, that I think got me for a very long time. <laughs> I had the very human reaction of after I kind of came to grips with what this whole situation meant for me and for him and for what our relationship would be, I would have these very mean, mean fantasies of just like, maybe she'll fall down some stairs. Maybe she'll fall you know, slip and fall on something. Maybe something will happen. And and of course, I never wished those things on her. And they were about her not and fair. not about him. Right. Well, no, don't worry. He actually got some. <laughs> he got all my ire up front, though. There were no fantasies about the ire for him. He got my ire up front. Um, he was not spared. Uh, but it was thinking about how can this baby not come into the world. Exactly. Because then then at least if the baby's not here, then she's not here, and I get to have my pretty picture back. Now it's a new family picture for Crystal. Her partner's daughter is four years old. Crystal says she's a riot. The little girl's mom got married last summer. Crystal and her partner were at the wedding to help celebrate. Only you know what's right in your relationship. Until cheating happens, it's hard to predict how you'll handle it. Hi, Anna. I'm calling from an undisclosed location in Europe. (laughs) That's what I learned from this message. This was among the first to come in, and it stuck out. We'd been married for 
12 years and been together for 15. We have two kids and a house and, you know, the full catastrophe. And um, it sort of came as a as a shock. Well, these things are a shock, and especially because not only did she have an affair, she had an affair with someone who I had considered a friend. And on top of that is also our neighbor. So it was a very, very... And still is a confronting situation. And I think my initial reaction was just to break everything, break up and, you know, start start from scratch. And I was very fortunate to be able to talk to somebody who, who brought the whole confrontation back to me and got me to ask the question of who do I want to be as a person? How do I want to respond and and how I respond I will have to live with for the rest of my life. So after some some days I actually decided to, you know, there was too much at stake to simply drop everything right there and then. So I decided to, to face the consequences of, of what had happened in my life. And, and uh, I think, you know, at a deep level we really, really love each other and that, that is enough of a basis to try to to try to continue to build on, on that relationship. And if you would have asked me, if anybody would have asked me beforehand, you know, how would you react if you found out your partner had had an affair? I, I would have probably said, you know, I will, I will walk. So it, it's also a, a surprise of what I had in me. It's almost like um, in, the, in a crisis situation, you just meet a different part of yourself. And for me, I must say, I'm, I'm glad I took this journey. And even though I still feel there's no guarantee, but then again, there's, there never is in relationships between people. So when a secret affair is revealed, it's devastating, destructive, and something we all would like to avoid. But it's also a moment that can make us finally, fully honest about what's been missing and what's worth saving. Thank you for sharing your stories. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, James Ramsey, Caitlin Pierce, Zachary Mack, and Bill Moss. Thanks to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios for his help with this episode. And a special thank you to Chris Bannon. This show exists because you asked for ideas. The team and I are forever grateful for your support, guidance, and exacting standards. We wish you the very best in your next adventure. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes and write us a review there. I like to hear what you think, and it also helps more people find us on the podcast chart. All this has made me think a lot about cheating. Though if you ask my fiance, Arthur, we don't need to talk about it more because I'm tired of it disrupting our conversation every day or every other day. Do you think it's been also useful premarital conversations? Yeah, that's also true. Several of the conversations have been useful and like the other 47 have not. <laughs> it's just been frightening. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.